Hey guys, you are listening to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I am Jamie and I'm your host and I'm so glad that you're here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We bring you new shows every Wednesday and Fridays and an amazing guest always joins me to chat about the big things in life, the little things in life and everything in between. Subscribe today to The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey on your podcast player so you never miss an episode. And welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so excited that you're here. Each week, I invite a girlfriend to join me on the show, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. You're listening to episode number 60, and today's guest is Jillian Lauren. Jillian is a writer and a mom and a wife. She's the author of three books, and two of them we're going to actually talk a lot about today in this episode. Today, Jillian and I chat about life while being married to musicians. We talk about some of her awesome books, and we talk about her former life as a woman working in a harem. Today's show is sponsored by Noonday Collection. If you're not familiar with Noonday, you should be. Noonday is a business that uses fashion to create opportunities across the globe. They work with artisans in Uganda, India, Vietnam, and beyond to design and create the most beautiful handmade jewelry. I want to tell you the opportunity to earn an income and make an impact as a Noonday ambassador. Noonday ambassadors are stylists, storytellers, and social entrepreneurs who make an impact in their communities and around the world. You can style your friends and create meaningful opportunity for artisans around the globe. My personal Noonday ambassador is Krista, and she is just the best. I host a trunk show with her every season, and I love having her style me and my friends and tell me the stories behind each collection that they come out with. Together, we're empowering families around the world. Noonday has an exclusive offer for Happy Hour listeners who sign up to become a Noonday ambassador. Visit thehappyhour.noondaycollection.com for all of the details. Guys, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Jillian. Crazy, but we're here. We're here. Here we are. Thanks for coming on the happy hour again, might I say. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very enthused to be talking to you. Again, and let me explain to everybody that you were in Austin. When were you here? What? I don't even know what uh, month that was. Like maybe a month ago. Okay. So you were here in Austin, which was amazing because I'm like, hey, let's do an interview together. And we did a whole interview and then like it, my computer completely lost it. Oh, I mean, so tragic. it was awful. It happens. And it I, does happen. Oh, I told Aaron, I was like, it was an interview I'd been looking forward to for so long because I just adore your book that just came out and I just ate it up and I was so excited to talk to you and meet you. Like we've been online friends for years and mm-hmm. I get to meet you in person we get to chat and then it's there. And you were so gracious when you emailed me back and was like, no problem. I was like, oh, thank well, you. Well, it, it, it just happens. It totally happens. It's happened to me. Um, not with like podcast interviews, but with uh, interviews I've done for research purposes or for journalism or, you know, that you get home and there's just nothing. It's the worst. It's just, it stopped <laughs> so recording <awful. laughs> at some point. It, it, it's just awful. And I'm so paranoid about it now that I'm always like constantly checking the whatever device it yes. is. Yes. I can't imagine it's very relaxing for oh. my interview subject. I'm like, just wait a second, <laughs> let me just check, make sure this is the Right, exactly. So anyway, thank you. But for- I'm I'm glad because now I get to have another conversation. A whole nother talk. It's so fun. I so- know, it's so fun. It's really a treat. And I I mean, when you have kids, it's like you don't get to talk to everyone you want to talk to. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. That's how life works. Yeah. I'm going to tell the story again because I think it's so funny that everyone needs to hear it. And I told you this when we first chatted, that when you and I first met, I mean, it was before your son came home and he's been home like seven years. I mean, right? Has he been home six years? Yeah. Six and a half. Okay. So I probably had my kids home maybe. I don't, I don't don't remember how we met. We met online. Yeah. And, um, maybe through Kristen Howerton or I I, I don't even know. So I just remember that, um, I think I had written a blog about like in memoirs and you left me a comment and said, I have this memoir out. 
um, called Some Girls, and you know, maybe you'll like it. And you sent me a copy, and I just fell in love with it. And you told me in there that your husband was a musician, all this kind of stuff. And so I don't think anything of it. My husband's a musician, and you know, the funny thing is, I went and told Aaron, I was like, I met this new friend online. She's sending me her book. Her husband's in a band. He's like, oh, what's the name of the band? And I said, he's in something called like the Weezers or something. <laughs> and Aaron just like could not even believe it because he just, he's embarrassed that I was like calling your husband's band the Weezers. Because everyone clearly, except for me, knew <laughs> Weezer, except for me. Yeah. I'm so we not sort of, We sort of call it that between us, actually. That's good going on with the Weezers so today. So I was like totally in the know then. <laughs> you were. You just didn't, you didn't know, but you exactly, were. Exactly. It's your instinct for. Aaron took me, do you know who Damien Rice is? Oh, I love him. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to be so let down by this as well. Oh no. Some, ah! friends, some friends bought some tickets and invited us to go with them. And this was months ago. I mean, they got the tickets months ago and, and they told me, they're like, do you want to come see Damien Rice? And Aaron like nearly loses his mind. And they're like, Jamie, do you want to go? And I was like, yo, I don't, I've never heard of that person before ever. And they were all just appalled. It was just, it was crazy. In fact, during the concert, Aaron's like, I don't even know why you're here. <laughs> did you like it? I did. But it was just funny because I'm like, everyone there, you can tell. Are just worshipful. Yes. And, yeah. And, and it was my first experience. Right. But it was beautiful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's great. He's really talented. But, uh, yeah, people are so I, – I, I, you can always feel a little bit on the outside, I think, if you're at one of those performers who has a very cultish following mm-hmm. and you're just sort of like, oh, I sort of recognize that one song. Maybe, <laughs> Maybe. I heard that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was fun. What's the last concert you went to? There's a random question. Oh, well, that's I. Uh, what? What was it? I went to Fleetwood Mac. Oh, yeah, I went to Fleetwood Mac with with my husband. Did not go. I went with friends, and it was so much fun. It was it was like a real old school concert experience yeah. for me because I'm very used to now going places with Scott, and usually we're going somewhere because he knows the people or mm-hmm. you know, he like, he's just in that world. Um, so, you know, I don't usually just like go to a stadium concert and sit in the way high seats. Yeah. Or anything, you like a, on the side with the people. Usually. Right, right. And anyway, so that's exactly what we did. And we went and we were just dancing like crazy dorks and having the best time. And it was such a great show and they played for hours and, um, yeah, it was such a fun so night. Fun. Now you yeah. see what like the the other concert goers what their experience is because <laughs> you're like on the side, you know, and you get to see the people loving it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I I love being married to a musician, and and that is one of the reasons because it's, it's like such a special experience to be in that kind of in between place because I'm not on the stage mm-hmm. and I'm not really in the audience. Like, I don't really belong to either world, so I can kind of move freely between both of them. And I get to see, you know, these faces so full of joy and light and dancing and so excited and screaming right. in front of my husband. <laughs> it's just great. And then, I, you know, and then I also get to be standing there. And usually Taraku's there. Usually I'm with my son. He's been seeing Weezer shows since he was 18 months old. And uh, it's just really special. Yeah. I love it. So you just mentioned, and I'm just curious about this. I mean, there are women out there screaming at your husband. Yeah. Is that ever weird? Has that ever been weird to you? Because <laughs> when you met and married Scott, he was like already living this life, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he, was, <laughs> he was living this life way more than he is now, I'll like tell you. Like the rock star life, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, I think he did an interview the other day and I was there and it was really funny because he was like, yeah, you know, it was just it was the thing, it was the girls and the touring <laughs> and, you know, he's like, it was terrible. That was that was terrible. I hated that life. <laughs> now he's like devoted husband and dad, and yeah. And now it's like, yeah. Now I, I mean, you know, they're now not so much, but like when Taraku was younger and a little more challenging, and I had been you know chasing him around all day, and Scott would get off stage, and I would just basically like 
hurl the baby okay. at him. Yeah. Be like, take this baby. He's like, sweat dripping off of him. Okay. It's like, what happened to my rock star life? Yeah, what happened here? Um, so, but in reality, how is that with what girls? Is it like? Yeah, you know, well, first of all, the Weezer fans are so polite and nice. It's like a really great group of fans it's not I mean no offense to the, the right, fans yeah. of Megadeth or anything but it's not like my husband plays in Megadeth or yeah. something so I think that that might be a different we'd have to be having a different conversation at that point about the girls yeah but um you know there there certainly is all that kind of attention um but mostly I know those girls now like the ones who really show up again and again yeah. the the super fans, the you know, the people who show up in every city. Like I know them online. They'll they'll send me a message on Facebook saying like, you know, what does Scott want for his birthday? And I'm like, why don't you just make him some gluten free brownies? Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Bring him to the show. <laughs> and uh, you know, and, and they're so polite and they're really actually very supportive of our family. And like they read my blog, and oh, they're very great. sweet, and and I trust my husband. I mean, you, mm-hmm. if you're going to be married to a musician, you you can't be one of those super jealous people who are like obsessing yeah. about where your husband is all the time, and where you know, and what are they doing, and what's that what's that picture on Facebook? Right, he's his arm around. It's like. He takes pictures with his arm around people all night long. That's like what he does. Mm-hmm. If a fan wants to take a picture of him, okay, yeah, yeah. a picture. So it's like you just have I, – I, I trust my husband. I have so much faith in him, in our marriage, in our mm-hmm. partnership, and, and I also – and that doesn't mean – that I don't think that he enjoys the attention from all these women. <laughs> I think he does. And I think he should. I, I don't think that that is necessarily translates into, and then he's going to go and have sex with right. these people. Right. Yeah. Like I, it doesn't. It doesn't equal you know, that like for y'all. Those two things are different. And yeah. he, like, he gets to have that. Yeah. So, you know? You know, my husband's in a band. It's a little different mm-hmm. than Weezer, but we have all of us wives are kind of like this little team. Like mm-hmm. we're like our own little thing. Like you know, because we yeah. all support our men the same, and we, like everything they walk through, we walk through. Do y'all have that? Yeah. Is there something with you know? We do. Weezer wives. We do. Can I call you that? Um, wives? Yeah, the wives, and also um, the band's assistant, who um, is is just the most wonderful woman who's been with them forever. Like I sort of include her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was like the, the Weezer wives threw me my baby shower mm-hmm. when Tarika was coming home. Like we've been through so much together, you know, I've been, I've been with them. I mean, I've been with Scott for 12 years. So, yeah. you know, we, I've, we've traveled the world together. We've been through, you know, everyone having their babies and actually, um, uh, one of the wives, who is my closest friend, uh, bless her, died of breast cancer. You know, so oh, we I did have not been, know that. yeah, y'all have walked very a lot young, together, very young with two young kids, and it was just, oh. a, you know, a, a devastating thing for me and mm-hmm. for all of us. Yeah. And yeah, so we've been through a lot together, and we're definitely very supportive. I mean, you know, we we it's like a family. Yeah. We go through phases of sometimes where you're hanging out and being social together and sometimes we're not so much right. like we're getting together when we're not on tour or something yeah. but yeah. um it's so nice now with the kids I and bet. stuff like we have a lot of young kids in the band now and they just have the greatest time together that's so fun it's really adorable they're all like dancing together backstage and it's, it's really the, cute that's really the best so um, you and Scott, y'all been together for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, your son is seven. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so the first book that I read of yours was Some Girls, and that's the right. first book that you wrote. Right. And it's a memoir, which is my absolute most favorite book ever to read. Me too. Do you love reading memoirs? I love memoirs? memoirs. Yeah. I love novels too, but I really love memoirs. I'm like, what is it about? What is it that is so intriguing? Is it, I don't think it's like getting in someone's life. Like, I don't want to know their business, but I think it is 
like walking through someone's shoes and something. And not that I walk through your shoes necessarily in your memoirs, but it's like you get to right. feel what they're feeling. Yes, and I also think that it's a very empowering experience of connection when you when you walk with somebody through an experience mm-hmm. in a memoir and you see how you can take experiences that are often uh, very tragic or very painful or very confusing or chaotic mm-hmm. and create a meaningful narrative out mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, that there's usually, I mean, usually if a memoir is being written, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's R- Hopefully, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm like, please don't bum me out here. <laughs> don't this leave thing. me here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like, I, I suppose you could write a memoir without a happy ending, but... <laughs> yeah, we need to go somewhere with it. Yeah. yeah. Now, you actually teach... I want to talk about your books for sure because I love uh-huh. them both so much. But you're actually... You teach writing, don't you? I do, yeah. Like, I, I run retreats sometimes for women, which uh, are... That's my favorite. Oh, so amazing. We actually have one coming up in February in Ojai, and it's not on my website yet, but it will be soon. So people are What happens at the retreat? retreat. Um, we are, we're going to this resort in Ojai for a few nights, and uh, me and two writer friends of mine, Claire Bidwell-Smith and Jenny Felden, also amazing writers, mm-hmm. uh, are going to lead a group of women and we'll lead master classes and we'll lead uh, walks mm-hmm. and meals and, you know, just rap sessions <laughs> and writing exercises. Oh, and, that sounds um, amazing. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. And so I love doing that. And then I also... Um, I teach at different master's programs from time to time. Um, so I don't have a full-time teaching gig, but I, I do teach. Okay. Well, that's that's amazing. And your writing is beautiful. And like I said, I was first exposed to you from some girls. And this is a book that after I read it, I told everyone, you have to read this story. I mean, it's a story like if you even told me your story right here, I'd be like, I don't think I believe it. Like, yeah. <laughs> this can't be true, you know? And basically give our listeners, give them just like a summary of what this story it's not a story. It's your story, what it's about. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing with, with my first memoir, Some Girls, was I had to write it as a memoir. I couldn't fictionalize the story because yeah. it would have been far too absurd. Right. You know? They would be like, this <laughs> can't can happen. Would right. be like, this is just so off base. <laughs> um, it basically, so when I, I was, I was a wild child. I was really wild as a teenager. I left home very early and moved to New York. Um, I was trying to be an actress and I got involved in, uh, all kinds of unsavory things. I was an exotic dancer for a while. And then, um, I got this invitation to go and attend these parties every night in a country called Brunei, which is on the island of Borneo. And I was invited by the Prince of Brunei to go and be his personal guest and go to these parties. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, because I had, because I was 18 and also because I had uh, very poor boundaries, <laughs> I went. You thought this would be a great idea. I thought that sounds terrific. <laughs> <laughs> Did uh, anyone tell you, I don't think you should do this? Well, I didn't tell my okay, okay. about what I was doing, um, but yeah, sure, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember my my closest friend and my roommate at the time just being like, "You are gonna wind up in a brothel in mm-hmm. Thailand mm-hmm. on a bare mattress, addicted to heroin or right. something." Like, what are you thinking? Um, but I I did just trust the woman who hired me, which, um, you know, I would not recommend any of the decisions that I made to anyone, but it did happen to turn out okay for me. Yeah. Like, I trusted her. I trusted that she was telling me the truth. Mm-hmm. And in fact, she was. Yeah. Um, and, and she was a good and honorable person. And I was treated very well. I was never a prisoner there. Um, but yeah, so so the subtitle of the book is My Life in a Harem because essentially when I showed up, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was this group of women who were 
living, you know, behind palace walls, um, who were there just kind of go to these parties and sing and dance and entertain the prince every night mm -hmm. and his and his entourage, and um, and so I wound up I wound up falling in love with the prince. Um, you know, see previous comment about <laughs> no boundaries, <laughs> right? I was like, yeah, it's just like this slight hitch of his thirty other girlfriends, <laughs> but. Right. You know, it's it's really amazing how adaptable we are. Like, what kind of circumstances can start to seem normal mm -hmm. if that is what your that's what your everyday looks like? So, um, and I wound up there for about a year and a half, back okay. and forth, and um, you know, back and forth with him, and it was very glamorous, and it was it was. I mean, they were the richest people in the world at the time. I Crazy. saw the craziest, most decadent things. Um, it was also very demoralizing um, and I got really depressed mm -hmm. and eventually I realized that I was not living authentically to the person I am. I'm not, I'm not some trophy, sequestered mm -hmm. trophy mistress, you know, I, like I wanted to be um, an artist and I wanted to be an actress and I wanted to be a writer and, um, and, and none of those things were on the horizon um, in Brunei. So, so I wound up leaving, and when I finally did, it really made a lot of sense, and I wound up going back to school. And yeah. Do um, you remember a moment when you were there when you thought, I want to be an actress, I want to be a writer, what am I doing? This is not who I am. Yeah, I do, and it took a long time because uh, I'm a real slow learner. <laughs> I'm a slow learner with a high tolerance for pain uh -huh, and suffering. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, but I, you know, it real. What really helped me was I started writing. I started journaling very diligently there, and I started because we had da days. Full <laughs> you had of a lot nothing. of time on your hands. We had a lot of time. You know, we had to show up at the parties at ten o'clock at night, and other than that, we were pretty <laughs> much just like. Yeah. Doing our nails yeah. and figuring out ways to be mean to each other and not eat. Wow. You know, I mean, it was just mm -hmm. like... It sounds like an episode of The Bachelor, but like set here. Yeah, right. it was the original Bachelor. Yes. It was The Bachelor before The Bachelor. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so, I, you know, I started journaling very diligently. And I started journaling in a different way than I ever had before because my journals before that had been... More like, oh, you know, I really think that Ryan is cute and I want to lose 10 pounds right. and, you know, I don't think Trisha likes me and I feel sad or whatever, yeah. <laughs> you know. And I started to because of how much time I had and because I needed a way to process what was going on around me. Um, started instead to listen to what people were saying. And to try and like start to write down what people were saying, how people were speaking, what things looked like, what they smelled like, like details and like more, more detailed exploration, both of the world outside of me and the world inside of me. And of course, you know, I, I didn't do this with any intention at all of ever writing a book about this. I never thought I would, you know, I thought that would be an incredibly dangerous thing to do and and maybe it was, um, although I have not had any repercussions thus far. But, yeah. um, and uh, I, I mean, that, that just wasn't even a consideration. It was just, it was more about process. And that process, I mean, obviously those notes were immensely helpful to me when I went back to write the book 18 years later because I didn't remember. Yeah, 18 like, you know, years. I had, descriptions of what the prince was wearing in that journal and what the you know and I was like oh my gosh yeah now I remember and right. then the memories would start flowing um so it was uh you know a lot of I, I mean I really wrote to that realization of like I, I can't live like this I'm so unhappy like there isn't enough money in the world mm. um <laughs> that that was a that was a well by that time I was almost twenty I mean that was my twenty year old perspective on it of course I had never like worked a real job <laughs> that <Right. point. laughs> I'm just like there isn't enough money in the world oh, so that's your realization as a twenty year old that's great 
Yeah, I know. And thank God. And that was good. And good thing I didn't know. Yeah. What that money was mm-hmm. or what it meant or what it, you know, and just, you know, when spent it like an idiot. And, right. And then was like, oh, wait a second. Now I'm working for $11 an hour. What's this? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. man, when I read that book, I mean, I literally was reading it with my jaw down. Like, this this is a true story. Like, this yeah. is crazy. And, like, this is your story. You walked this, you know, however many years ago. Um, but I, I told you this before, and I, I a girlfriend of mine has the book. Actually, you know what, Jillian? After we talked for the first time and I lost that interview – I had loaned out your book, Some Girls, just forever and couldn't find it anywhere. And so I went and bar- bought another one. And then I gave it to my girlfriend and she hasn't ever given it back to me again. So I'm like, I'm going uh, okay. to giving out books. You, but, do you want me to send you one? I'll <laughs> send you a new one. I'm good. Um, I actually think I actually bought one that night when I saw you at Book People. But whatever. Um, my whole point in saying that is that I remember being, I remember vividly, and I don't have many like, Books move me emotionally for sure. But then I move on to the next book. I mean, you know, I, right. th- they do move me. But I remember reading your book. I was in the bathtub because I remember this. And I remember just weeping. like, mm. And I can't remember what stage it was um, in the book. But you were expressing such sadness in this part mm. that I literally was like, I was so sad with you. And that has like stuck with me that when a writer can bring you in to their story and you feel so sad for them. I mean, such a great writer. So wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely, I, I cried too. You know, I cried when I was writing that stuff, mm. for sure. It was really, it was tough to revisit. And I did it, you know, I really tried to just throw myself into it 100% because I figured, you know, if, if I'm not willing to cry over this stuff, why would I? Who else will? Right. Why would I expect anyone else to? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I really tried to delve into to the emotional truth of that time in my life because, um, I mean, my whole intention in writing that book was to to show the gray area and show the humanity and in the choices we make, even in the really bad choices we make, I mean, especially in the really bad mm-hmm. choices we make, you know, show the humanity in that. Yeah. Um, and uh, and you know what? In the process, it helped me see it in myself. Right. Right. Too. You get there and that on your own. Is yeah. the real. That's the real gift of writing memoir. I think is that you get a certain amount of compassion for yourself. Hmm. Once you're looking at yourself as a character, you're like, oh, hey. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't had a conversation with that character, with that eighteen-year-old mm-hmm. me, in a long time. When I went back and wrote that book, because I just like shut the door on her. Mm-hmm. You know, or- was it hard? Did you feel as though you were writing about a character and not yes. really about yourself? Much more so with the first book mm-hmm. than with this most recent memoir, Everything You Ever Wanted, my my new memoir, because this this most recent memoir was about such recent events. Right. But that memoir was literally about events that happened 18 years before I wrote it. So um, it, it did feel like writing about a character. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and, and it always feels like writing about a character in some ways, and it always should, I think, because you need to have a certain amount of distance True. From, from something. Okay, yeah. Other, otherwise, I forget that Everyone else hasn't seen every single thing I've seen. So you make too many assumptions. That's true. Because then you assume they know stuff that you, and then you don't explain it. Yeah, like yeah, you, know what, what it's, you know what it's like to arrive at the airport in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Or you know mm-hmm. what it's like to stand backstage at a Weezer concert. Right. Like to me, those things, like I know what they're like. I could use shorthand mm-hmm. to describe them, but my job as a writer is to really bring the reader into that experience. So it, I think it takes a little bit of distance. Yeah. And so this new book that you just wrote, Everything You Ever mm-hmm. Wanted, um, your memoir about your um, bringing your family together and adopting your son. Mm-hmm. And it is so beautifully written. And I told someone when I first, after I first read it, I said, it's almost as if sometimes I was reading words that like were straight out of my head, like ways that I felt throughout those first few years when we brought our kids. Wow. Thank you so much. I mean, really the highest praise. 
just as a mom who has been through kid with who parents kids that have been through trauma and have yeah. or have come from hard places, it was so refreshing to read your words because I felt like a I'm not I'm not alone, which is good to know, right. and b there's such hope. Like you 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 take us on a full circle, like not full circle, but a full spectrum. You know, from getting mm-hmm. him home and then the challenges that you've had. But it was so beautifully written. Thank you, thank you so much. Yeah. I, I felt I'm very I'm very proud of the latest book, and I really it's very precious to me. And uh, and I did feel like that it was my best writing when I was writing it. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is this is my best writing. It was it was really <laughs> wonderful. Now, did you, did you? Am I correct on this? Did you write some girls when you already had Terry Q home? Oh my gosh! I wrote the first half of it uh, before, uh-huh. and I really thought I was so busy. You know, do you like that? <laughs> For thinking you were so busy. (laughs) I remember, I mean, you're busy when you have one kid because it's all you know. But now that I have four, I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, two is a breeze. You know, like every, you're just. Do you remember when you thought you were so busy though when you didn't have any kids? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I thought I was so busy. So six, for six months, I was waiting for Taraku and, uh, and writing the book. And then we adopted him and I obviously took a few months off. And then I had a deadline I was looking at. Uh, So then I was trying to get back into writing. And you know how it is. Like you have this addled mom brain of no sleeping. (laughs) And, uh, and, And then I'm trying to write, finish the book, and have this infant who... I I mean, I didn't know it before. I I probably didn't even know it then, really, what was going on. But, you know, was having all these behavioral manifestations of trauma... And uh, and was having these tantrums and really wouldn't eat very much. And his sleeping was terrible. Like, you know, he was up six times a night every night, screaming and vomiting. And I was like, oh. What just happened to my life? (laughs) Happened. (gasps) You know. So then you had to write the rest of that book. uh Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. And I did it. You did it. I finished it. I remember at the very end, you know, I, I didn't have anyone else. I did, like, attachment cocooning stuff with Taraku, uh-huh. and I didn't have anyone else even, other than Scott, even hold him or feed him or nurture him for months, much less having a sitter, mm. you know? I mean, that, that just didn't happen at all. Um, you know, it was just like my best friend would sometimes come over and watch him while I was in the house with that. Right. It's like- never not with him in mm-hmm. the house, you know? And, um, but by, at the very end, when I was like struggling to get the last edits in and stuff, I remember I called, uh, I called my friend who lived on the corner who had like a 15 year old pot dealer kid. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) and I was like, Hey, (laughs) can they just come over for like an hour or two? They really even have to do anything. (laughs) Oh, you're like, I have reached the low and this has got to get done. I'm like, just come, just like sell pot out of my backyard. Just like, I don't even care. Just like, make sure my kid doesn't hurt himself while I finish this. Oh oh my gosh. I was so crazed and desperate. It was a crazy time. That is so um, crazy. Yeah, but I did it and it was really gratifying. I mean, I, I, I still don't know how I how I, you know, like when it when it really gets to crunch time, mm-hmm. like write and parent, it's it's so hard. So those hard. things are so hard yeah. to marry. Yeah. For me, you know? Now is Teraku in school now? Um right this minute he's at camp still because his school starts really late. Okay. His school starts next week. Okay. Which I actually like. I think that it's good to start after Labor Day. That's just sort of how I remember things. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, everyone starts so early now. But so he's there. But you know we're in the middle of another adoption. Yes. So tell yeah. us. I mean, uh, what, are, what do you want to know, tell us about that? So, um, well, we're, we're adopting again. We're adopting through the foster care system here in L.A. County. And so um, we're right at the end of our certification process. When I got home from the book tour, I was like, if I don't clear the decks, Nothing's, and yeah. do this and make this happen and throw myself into this next adoption and into being a mom. Um, and then it's never going to happen. Like, right. So that's what I did. And miraculously, all of a sudden, everything started to happen really quickly. So we're almost certified like in the next couple days. 
And, um, it, you know, I mean, it's like we're already, we're already talking to them about, you know, possibilities. So um, it's really exciting. So are I, you... Uh, are you doing older child, younger, anything? What are, what are you doing here? Between, between three and five. Okay. okay. About, um, and a boy, African-American mm-hmm. boy. Uh, Tarek says he wants a little brown brother. Nice. <laughs> Tarek likes to say that in really awkward public <laughs> situations, actually. That makes it even better. <laughs> Which is pretty yeah. awesome. I was I, there's a funny story. I take him almost every Saturday of his entire life to this one restaurant that he loves so much uh, called Proud Bird. It's across the street from LAX. Anyone who's in Los Angeles, it's it's just a treasure. This restaurant and it the planes land right over the restaurant, and he's really that airplane. He are loves it. Yeah. So. Um, uh, especially uh, on Sunday, we were there one Sunday morning, especially on Sunday mornings, there's a big after-church crowd. It's almost exclusively African-American. Um, and so I was sitting at one end of the porch, just, you know, like eating or reading or whatever. He was like on the other end of the porch, and he turned around and yelled across the entire porch. He was like, Mom! You know, sort of like every head turned. turned yeah. And uh, he was like, is my little brother going to be brown too? (laughs) And like every single head in the place turned to me. And I was just like, yes, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love it so much. So I felt like, I felt like he was like, I need a witness. Everybody listen. Yep. (laughs) Hey guys, before we get back to the show with Jillian, I wanted to remind you that a huge way that you can help the Happy Hour podcast is to do all of your Amazon shopping through my affiliate link, jamieivy.com slash Amazon. Amazon is a great place to find anything you're looking for for a great price. We're talking stuff like batteries or designer shoes, even a magical unicorn mask, last minute Halloween gifts. Whatever you buy, when you buy through the link that I just gave you, I get a small percentage of that sale and it helps to go towards the cost and expense of doing this podcast that I love doing for you guys. So remember, next time you need anything, go to jamieivy.com slash Amazon. It's a win-win because you help out the happy hour while you also get that magical unicorn mask that you've had your eye on for a while. So go ahead. You deserve it. Get it. Okay, back to the show with Jillian. So tell me this, Jillian. What led y'all to adopt from the foster system and not back to Ethiopia? Well, it's, it's almost impossible to adopt mm-hmm. from Ethiopia right now, which is really tragic. It is, yeah. Um, because there was a lot of corruption mm-hmm. um, and that absolutely 100% needs vigilance and reform and transparency, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I'm not minimizing that but um you know to shut down the entire adoption system seems um so sad because there's so many orphans in Ethiopia um it's I think it maybe is the highest concentration in the world or certainly was I don't know there there might be you know some other I mean there are some other things going on in the world now that would affect those numbers but um um, so it's it's really sad, and and we continue to do work in Ethiopia. You know, we we continue to do work with um, Help One Now. You know the Help One Now people. I do, and you went on that trip with yeah. our mutual friends Jen Hatmaker and Kristen Howerton, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was uh, uh, and Corey Robertson. Yes, and that was one of the best things I've ever done. Uh, just amazing. Was that your first time back after bringing Tay yeah. home? Okay, and what, what was that like? Oh. It was like I was, I didn't know how I, I, I was excited to go back. Um, I have always have felt this yearning in my heart for Ethiopia since we left, which totally surprised me. It wasn't mm-hmm. like somewhere I felt really connected to before that or anything. But I mean, my husband and I often talk about this. We're sort of like, we feel Ethiopian in some sense, mm-hmm. you know, like there's the, we have this intense spiritual connection to that country now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, uh, and so I was feeling this yearning to go back, and then the opportunity came for me to go on this uh, trip with Help One Now to you know, help raise money and raise visibility for the wonderful work that they're doing there. Um, and I went, and of course, it's like hard traveling mm. that I hadn't done in a while. You know, traveling in developing countries is different. Yeah. It's very different than going to Orlando, <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's like different food and different bacteria that you're dealing with and different kind of, you know, standards of yeah. hot water exactly. or not. or. Um, uh, and of course, there's there's a tremendous amount of poverty, and that's very hard um, to look at sometimes. But um, oh, I was just so glad to be back there. It, like I felt, you know, I, I was visiting somewhere that is, if not home for me, a home. Yeah, you know, a home of mine in the world. Um, I, I just I just love that country. I can't wait to go back. I think I'm going to go back again in the spring. Oh, good. Yeah. I just went to um, my first time anywhere in Africa this spring, and it was absolutely beautiful. Oh, right. What was the organization you went with? With Soul Hope. Right. Yeah, in Uganda. And it was just I love your beautiful. photographs. Yeah, it was so wonderful. Yeah. So everything you ever wanted. So when I recommend your books to people, I always say to start with some girls because mm-hmm. I feel like it's a, like these books have – they. Of course, it's your life, but they overlap a lot in ways that you wouldn't mm. imagine. Right, um, I know it's true. <laughs> it, it's one's about your there life are and a harem theme. Yes, and one is about your journey to your son, and they overlap so much. So I always recommend people start with the first one, and then read this book. and the, And the the book, everything you ever wanted, obviously really resonates with parents through adoption. But it's so much more than that. It's you did such a fabulous job of not just making it where like, oh, adoptive parents get that because it's, it was more than that. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, um, that was my intention. I really wanted to reach beyond just our little niche community, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's so often that it, it stories that have to do with adoption just you know people for whom that's not like a direct part of their family just like go all blank in the eyeballs mm-hmm. they're just like oh, well, oh good for you <laughs> right right oh you're you guys are great yeah you know mm-hmm. and you're then such a great really, person yeah. you're a great person but mm-hmm. then they they just have zero interest it's like Mah. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like everything you say after the word adoption sounds like the teacher from <laughs> peanuts yeah yep. <laughs> um and I, I wanted to I, I wanted to make more of a bridge than that you know and i wanted to discuss the universality of the themes that that adoption brings up in our lives, I, you know, where do we belong, and where do we find our families in this world, and you know, what what effect does does trauma and separation have mm-hmm. on the developing brain? Now, mm-hmm. certainly, adoptive families deal with trauma and loss, but but we we don't own trauma and loss. Right. You know, there's plenty of that you know I have a lot of friends who have read the book and said you know I I really feel like my kid has a lot of these symptoms of trauma but he wasn't traumatized mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, some I'll start asking questions and I'll be like well, what was the birth like yep. and how long was he in the hospital for mm-hmm. and were there any significant medical problems in the first couple of years of his life and what was your life during um, the nine months I mean you know like right right yeah, yeah. exactly like what kind of stress levels uh-huh. were going on uh-huh. in, in utero and um, and uh, you know and, and often there's like oh well he was born premature and he had you know like horrible stomach pain mm-hmm. for and i'm like that is so traumatic yeah. that is a world that feels unsafe mm-hmm. like if you're a baby and your experience of the world is that you're just like in pain that no one can help all the time yeah. you know then that is that's a pretty good reason to feel unsafe right so yeah, the, there are there are all of these um, applications, mm-hmm. and you know all of these ways that I, I believe that these discussions are relevant yeah. to so many people. Um, and they're like we have so many blended and mixed families now of all different kinds. 
you know, like yeah. the, the traditional nuclear family. I, I mean, how many years before that is the in the minority? Right. So, you know, I think that it's affecting all of us. Yeah. Another one of the themes that I really like in your book, because I think motherhood is something that kind of sneaks up on people. And you mm -hmm. have this idea of what you think it's going to be like. <laughs> yeah. And then it is completely shattered. And yeah. I think that's not adoption specific. I mean, I think that is motherhood in general. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was for me, my first child, I mean, I was young and I didn't know what I was doing, but I was really shocked by my international adoptions. And and you wrote this in your book. I'm going to read this real quick because you said this. You said, nothing I've encountered in my life has hurled me into darkness as fiercely as this rejection by my son. Mm. Not Jennifer's death, which is a, a friend you talk about in this book. Not Jennifer's okay. death, not stripping, not drugs, not being disowned, not depression, nothing. Even when I'm able to remain grounded and patient and not take it personally all day long, it's a rare day, but it does happen, comes bedtime, I still find myself in tears, thinking that in a million years, I never imagined being a mother would feel like this. And I remember reading that, and I thought, so many people are going to say, I feel that way sometimes. Mm. Me too. Motherhood yeah. just comes at you, and it's not always what we think it's going to be. Yeah. And I think that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. Especially if you tend to be a uh, controlling person, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> you know, or somebody like me, somebody who thinks that, you know, like I can, I can kind of direct and set dress and write this story and you all just show up. Right. <laughs> yep. You'll just show up, put this hat on, play the part there and say this, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, because <laughs> that's what this looks like. Yep. Um, and I think that was a lot of my problem, too, is yeah. that I had already had two children who were, quote, unquote, normal, typical, right. weren't dealing with these issues. And then two more kids show up, and I'm just like, what the heck happened? Because this is not how I've been a mom before. And now this is so different and so hard. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and it's this constant process of of being able to like redefine ourselves and our relationships with with love and compassion for ourselves mm -hmm. for our children you know and to just release our expectations yeah around this stuff because mm -hmm. the expectations are the killer thing and yeah. i i look at my own relationship with my parents and actually now uh we're getting along really well great which is super nice so if you read the book you'll see that after you release some girls it was right. a little... Um, we had a little rift yeah. mm -hmm. because my parents were very embarrassed mm -hmm. and they were very hurt. Did they know uh, the story? They knew the story. They're just like, why the heck would you tell everybody why else? Why <laughs> on earth right. you air your dirty laundry? And I was just like, I'm a writer. I write about my life. This is what I... This is, this is my gift. This is <laughs> what I do. Don't you love it, Mom? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and now they understand that. But then they did not. Yeah. Um, and they just, you know, that they, they, they just thought it was really shameful what I did, and um, and it was really sad. And but it was it wasn't the first time that was that didn't happen after like a lifetime of having no problems with my parents. Right. That yeah. Happened after you know a, a lifetime of struggle, particularly with my dad. And when I look back on it, I think. Oh, it's just, it, it seems so sad, all the missed opportunities we had to connect. And so much of it was based on expectations mm. on everyone's part. Mm -hmm. Like my father had expectations what his children were supposed to be like. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did very, I, I did my best to live up to those expectations mm -hmm. for a long time until I realized that I just wasn't that kid. I wasn't the kid that he wanted. And the minute I stopped looking exactly like the kid that he wanted, he just, it just like blew his mind. There was yeah. just, you know, he could not, he was just so furious mm -hmm. that that dream had been lost that, you know, it was like almost irreparable, yeah. the damage that was done. But, yeah, I mean, we're all older now, so we're like, huh. Yeah. We're, we're Nothing's <laughs> irreparable. I'm too tired to fight you anymore. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but it's so sad, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to fall prey to the same thing. I mean, I'm, I'm certain I'm falling prey to a million other ways I'm messing up my kid, but. That's what I always say. I said everyone needs counseling, and I'm just like, just 
it's it's gonna happen. I mean, you yeah. know, I'm I'm doing the I'm doing the best that I can as a mom, you know, and here we go. Yeah, and we I mean, we say we're sorry, and yep. we it's a different it's different parenting time. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's, a, it's a different generation. Like the other night, Scott and I were sitting there looking at each other, like because right lately Taraku has developed such a mouth like so like he'll like talk back to you oh and and he's hilarious Uh like he is very very funny and sharp and and just like sass the sass is 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 completely unacceptable and so we're trying to talk about how we're going to address this and I'm like how did this happen like where did this mouth come from and Scott was like I have news for you we gave it to him like we have we have raised him to think and to question and to have an opinion right and you know and he is just you know and he just does that with real <laughs> with some real flair mm-hmm. exactly you're like that's real funny what you said but that's you can't do that <laughs> I know it's funny uh, you know it's like funny but horrifying right. and, you know when you're you're trying not to laugh and then you're also thinking like I have raised a monster what have and, I created oh my gosh uh, so are you working on any other writings right now um I am I I'm doing some um uh, I'm, I'm doing some work, but I'm keeping it very. I mean, I'm still work, still doing my blog, as always. Mm-hmm. Um, not maybe as often as I was for a while. I uh, and I'm doing a few small things, like I'm calling them manageable meals. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. working on a short TV pilot or like doing short things oh. because as we're preparing for this yeah. exception, which I think will happen very quickly. Um, that's really my main focus. You wanted to be able to pull back and focus on your family. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just, you know, I, I feel really strongly, especially adopting like three to five-year-old that, um, particularly if they don't have to be in school yet, you know, if they're not yet five. Right. Um, that I just want to be, I would just want to do that, all that good attachment yeah, stuff. Yeah, for sure. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, oh, that, that kid won't be out of my sight. Yeah, we know. For months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like won't be out of the same room with me yeah. for months yeah. until until we all start to smooth that transition yeah. out. So, which a lot of people don't understand that. I told someone one time after Amos came home, he was four and a half, mm-hmm. and they're like, "It's so weird how you're so like you won't let us like give him food or anything." And right. I'm like, "Listen, if you came to the house and and gave him a better offer, he would leave. Like, right. <laughs> he does not right. understand exactly. that what family is, and so right. that's what we have to teach them." Exactly, and, and yeah, and, and it, it's a very foreign thing. To it people, is, but but you have to you have to do a lot of thinking through it, mm-hmm. like in order to understand why that's yeah. necessary. Like think it through to what this child's life has been like, yeah. And what that what sort of lessons that life has taught has them, taught that child, and they don't even yeah. know it. Yeah, and they don't even know it. Yep. So, and it's your and you got to dial that all back. Mm-hmm. Dial that whole clock back and create a whole new set yep. of of lessons mm-hmm. and have space that he believes is safe. Yeah, and feels safe. Yeah, able to trust you. It's not something that happens immediately. I mean, I think that that is the danger a little bit of like the rainbows and unicorns adoption yep. narrative. Yep. Like I just saw them and we fell in love, uh-huh. and you know, they're going to save him from everything. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we were attached. It was love at first sight from the minute. You know, I'm mm-hmm. just like, that's a very nice story. I'm sure that was true for you. <laughs> it's not mainly <laughs> true. Yeah. 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 It just okay. doesn't feel that way. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It, it takes some work. It does. It does. And I think that's why it's also another like this motherhood is different than I thought because mm-hmm. you don't think that you have to like work to love someone or work to like someone, you know, you yeah. think, Oh, I'm a mom. I should love this kid every minute of every day. And then you have a kid that like pees on you and tells you that he hates you. And you start right. to think, wait, what are these feelings I'm feeling? These are not supposed to be what a mom feels. Oh God. And it's just, I a- remember when I was like, I, I would 
sometimes have to put my hand over my own mouth. <laughs> so you didn't say what you so were thinking? So I didn't say, like, what? You, I don't like you either. I know. <laughs> yep. Oh, I mean, Amos, in his darkest moments when he first came home, he used to say, I don't want to live here. I want to go back to Haiti. And my thought was sometimes irrational, like, well, maybe you should, you know, like I didn't really think that. And I would have never said that, but you get these thoughts where you're like, well, this isn't easy for me either. You know, (laughs) I mean, he'll still, Tarka will still do it. We were, um, looking through his life book the other day. We have a picture of his birth mother in his life book and he will, he will push and push at me. You know, and he, although this stuff actually, the stuff that's really obvious what's going on doesn't bother me. And I feel like I have tools to address it. Mm-hmm. And also I was adopted um, is another thing. I don't know if we mentioned that yet, but right. I was also adopted. So like, I, I think I have a much better understanding of this, mm-hmm. these kind of issues. And so, you know, he was like looking at the picture and he was like, oh, there's my mommy there's my mommy. And then he kept like, like putting his hand over my face in the picture. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I just didn't, I was like, Oh, you know, I was like, do you want to write her a letter? And, you know, just we like, we talked about her and how much she loved him and how, and loves him and how brave she is and all this stuff. And, and then, you know, and then we wind up moving on, you know, he never actually wants to write the letter. That would like be too much work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, you know, so we, we went on and read more of the book and then, uh, later I was, you know, I, I like went in this mothers will know, well, this will resonate with mothers. Like I went to pee mm-hmm. and he just like, wouldn't even let me be alone to pee. You know, he was like, he came right into the bathroom with me and I was like, do you need something? Yeah. What's going on? And he was just like, um, I'm like, he was trying to make something up. And then he was like. I love you. I love you, mom. I love you, mom. And, um, and I was like, Oh, he feels, he feels Uh terrible right now. And he's scared, Uh you know? And, uh, and so whatever. And then, you know, and then I just like shower him Mm -hmm. with love and and we may start making jokes and, um, you know, like, so it's so, it's like so normal. It seems so natural and makes so much sense that he would test and push right. and see, you know, like, can he push me away? Mm-hmm. Can he hurt me mm-hmm. to the point that I, you know, am, yeah. don't want to be his mother anymore? Right. Um, all that is completely logical. Yeah. And I even think that's hard. I think I have felt the tension of even explaining what you just said to people who don't walk through this, who they've, like, maybe their children have come to them all naturally and they don't have trauma For me to understand that the reason that he does this, especially early on a lot, is that he's just trying to see, like, are we going to give up on him? Are we going to be like, you know what? This is too much. I'm sending you back to Haiti. Um, We made a mistake. Like, and it's not that he wants that, but he just always needs to make sure. How much can I do before this this whole thing is a shamble, you know? Absolutely. It's like... How far, you know, how far can I push you? Mm-hmm. Can I push so hard on you, as hard as I can, yep. and you still won't give up on me? Yeah. Because then maybe I can trust you. Exactly. And I remember early on when Amos, he really tried to hurt me with his words and like, I don't love you. Yeah. You're not my mom. I want to go back to Haiti. And I would yeah. just look at him every, or he would say like, why don't you just send me back? And I would look at him and I'd be like, because I can't. I love you so much and I'm your mom and God put us together. And God thinks that yeah. we're best for each other. And so yeah. if you don't think I'm a good mom, then you can tell him, you know, but yeah. we'd be a good team, you know? Yeah. And so I would just always like go back like, well, I can't even do that because I love you so much. And a right. mother doesn't do that to her son. And right. he would always just kind of look at me like, okay, all right, you know? Um, and then we, we played that dance so many times those first two yeah. years. It was How like, old is Amos now? He's 10. Woo, we ten. Ten, like a big kid, almost home six years. I mean, just a big, he's just, he's a good kid. Yeah. Yeah. Great kid. Yeah. Uh, okay, Jillian, tell me three things that you're loving right now in your life. Three things I'm loving right now. I love a cookbook right now. I'm totally obsessed with this cookbook. It's called Jerusalem. 
Oh. And it is all different kinds of food from all traditions uh, from the Holy Land. What does the cover look like? Because I think I have this on my kitchen table right now. It is, it's like a white sort of, it's almost like padded book. Um, and it says Jerusalem. And then there's a picture of a dish on the cover, I think, that has an egg on it. Oh, my gosh. I have this exact cookbook. Oh, it's so good. We uh, have friends the, that just recently chicken. moved to Israel. Mm-hmm. And so they gave us the, they gave us a gift when they moved. That's how nice they are. That's um, nice. Yeah. Okay, so you're loving this cookbook. I love that cookbook. The chicken with the cardamom. Okay. I'm writing the this down so Aaron can make it for me. is so great. Okay. Uh, and, and easy once you, once you do it a couple times. One of those things, like the first time you do it seems a little... Yeah. You got to figure... You got to puzzle it through a little bit. And then after that, it's super easy and it's just like great for a dinner party. It looks very impressive and it's very easy to do. And so I love one dish cooking. Um, and I love this lipstick that I have been wearing every single day for two months called Syrup. Okay. Is that <laughs> the brand? Mac. Oh, from MAC. Okay. No, that's the name of the color. I, I just am totally crazy about that lipstick. Um, what was my third thing? Um... Oh, I had a good, I had a good third thing. Oh, I really am liking the book No Drama Discipline. Okay. By Dr. Tina Bryson. Um, I, I don't read a whole lot of parenting books anymore, honestly, because like I got so burned out on parenting books. <laughs> <laughs> like I read them all, you know. And, and then like, you would like put that into them. practice and then and go now, to the next thing. I, yeah. Uh, and now I'm like, eh, I'd really rather read for pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> so no drama discipline. No drama discipline. It is, is quite brilliant. And, she, you know, she really combines great um, – she has a great combination of neuroscience and just super compassionate parenting. That's okay. cool. I love that. And, um, oh, yeah. So those are my three okay. big things right now. I have to ask you this because you Shriners dress up for Halloween. We sure do. What are y'all doing this year? Uh, we don't know. I'm okay. s- I am beside myself. We've been going back and forth. The problem is when these kids start having opinions. That's right. You can't just dress them. <laughs> sucks. So what is Tarek thinking? Or does he, does he have any like solid well, opinions know. yet? He's starting. Well, he was really into mythology, so that I was really excited about. We do mm-hmm. some. Like, we can do a lot with that, thing. right? And now I think he's going to superheroes, which okay. I'm always just like, hmm. yeah. Well, well, yeah. Like, must we? <laughs> right? Must we put another Captain America <laughs> out there? Um. But uh, okay. Well, we'll all just have to wait and see what you guys do. You're gonna have to wait and see. This is still in flux. Okay. I can't wait. And don't you write about a Halloween party in your book? Yes. Okay. I do yes. write about a Halloween party in the book. We're not having – we used to have Halloween parties every year that were amazing. Mm-hmm. They were great because uh, we lived in this crazy Halloween neighborhood. And uh, we're not doing them because we moved. Well, good. And now we live on like this crazy steep hill and no one trick-or-treats around here. So, <laughs> so you have to go someplace else. We have to go somewhere else. We actually go to our old neighborhood. Which is great. Um, which is great. And we don't do our Halloween parties every year, which honestly is sort of a relief. Like, we did them for so long. You can let it go. Like, eh, we can let that one go. Done with that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Well, we will be watching to see what you guys do because that's always fun. Um, Jillian, thank you so much. Thank you so this much. This has been a joy. I feel like we could have just chatted forever. And so I, know. I want everyone to go buy your books. I I do too. <laughs> yes. And I we I talk about books a lot on my podcast and I recommend a lot of books and I cannot any more highly recommend these two books. So, Thank you so love much. them so much. So, everyone go get Some Girls and everything you ever want. And you have another book. I never I I feel awful because I never mentioned it because I haven't read it. Oh, well, it it's called Pretty and it is a novel. It's a novel. That's what I thought. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit different. So usually when I'm talking about my memoirs, it doesn't come up it doesn't as much because yeah. it's just kind of a different yeah. category. But well, yeah. everyone go buy that too, but I have not read it. So <laughs> I'll, send, that. <laughs> I'll send you, I'll send you some books. Uh, okay, Jillian, thank you. Have a great day. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie.
Guys, didn't you love Jillian? She is one of the sweetest people I've ever met. The depth and scope of that conversation is unlike any that I've had in a long time. Remember, everything we chat about will be up on my website, jamieivy.com, and I'd love to hear from you. Find me on Twitter. My Twitter, my Twitter handle is at jamie underscore ivy. Uh, my Instagram is jamieivy. I'm over on Facebook as well. Share with me something that you love in this episode. Go find Jillian um, on Twitter and let her know something you loved as well. Her Twitter is at Lauren. Um, I also want to say thank you to Austin Stone Worship for sponsoring this episode. They just released a new album, This Glorious Grace. You can find it anywhere you buy music. Head on over to iTunes. I promise you're going to love it. And if you want a sneak peek of it, go ahead and head back and listen to um, a previous episode with Jaleesa McCreary where we talk all about it. And I play a song at the end for free, so there's that. Next week, my guest is my friend Monica Swanson, who's a mama living in Hawaii raising surfer boys. I mean, how much cooler does it get than that? Guys, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend and have a happy hour with a friend. See you next week, guys. Hey, guys, you are listening to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey. I am Jamie and I'm your host and I'm so glad that you're here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We bring you new shows every Wednesday and Fridays and an amazing guest always joins me to chat about the big things in life, the little things in life and everything in between. Subscribe today to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey on your podcast player so you never miss an episode.